So tell I'm us here how you yeah, came to Christ. Yeah, yeah. Look, on the 18th of August, 1991, I'm going to point at you, don't... Maria? Come Maria, on. Maria. Just put your hand up. I was sitting sort of where Maria is, but that's the back row at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it was sort of a further, bit further back. A bloke named Ray Galea came and spoke here. He was a, a fresh sort of wet behind the ears pastor not long out of Bible college. And uh, he came here and he spoke evangelistically. I'd sort of been sort of hanging around for a little while. Uh, there were some things that he said that rang true to me. I knew prior to that, because of the life I'd lived, if there was a heaven and hell, there's no way I'd qualify for heaven. It was just common sense. Mm. But again, he sort of shared that salvation is a free gift. I've been hearing it over and over again for about 18 months. I'd been sort of hanging around, as I said, in Bible study and things like that. And on that day, um, I made a commitment to Jesus. I actually become a Christian. Now, why is the 18th of August 1991 so significant? Well, that's the day that I said, I do to Christ. Mm. Often, uh, I like to compare Christianity to marriage. You can read books on marriage, you can go to weddings, but you're not married until you actually say, I do before God to the woman who's standing beside you. And, and that's what I did on that day. And you've been serving the Lord ever since. And now you work for Anglicare. I do. And you're a, a, a prison chaplain. Yep. It must be fun. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. Um, it's, it's a really interesting job. It's a bit hard to explain what it's like. But I took a friend of mine in with me once. And I overheard him speaking to somebody else at church that night. And he said, do you know it's a one kilometre walk from the front gate to Steve's desk? kilometre walk he said and there's 18 different or 18 or 16 I can't remember what there is because they've done a bit of remodeling but there's about 16 different security checks to get to where I need to be so I'm in the bowels of the place and you can't get out in a hurry if you want and some of it's a card some of it's a key some of it's an iris scan some of it is it's like a birdcage you go in one door you stand in there and they won't let you on until the guy on the other side actually physically recognises you and lets you through. Mm. So because he was so surprised, and I'd sort of got a bit used to it, I put together a bit of a DVD just to show you and sort of describe a little bit about what prison life's like. Yeah, so no if worries. you want to sit down, yeah, if yeah. we sit down Have for we, a minute, we've got that. that. All right, let's watch.
get that. Um, kids, stay at school and uh, follow Jesus and you don't end up there. Um, wow, you must have some stories to share. Yeah, look, um, got a couple. <laughs> the first one, I want to... I just want I just wanted to tell you this. It's an amazing story. Mobile phones are incredibly dangerous and agile. If I was to get caught taking a mobile phone in, uh, it's two years sentence for the phone, two years sentence for a SIM card, and two years sentence for a battery charge, for the phone charger. So, you know, being caught with a phone inside a correctional centre, you're looking at six years. And, and the, the problem with telephones is they say it's more dangerous than a gun inside a jail, and that's because uh, if a phone gets into the wrong hands of the wrong sort of inmate, he can organise all sorts of terrible things to happen on the outside. Mm. Um, he doesn't need to have a gun. Mm. So, so one of the stories is we had a fairly uh, high-profile chap. I won't tell you who his name is, but he, the officers knew that this guy had a telephone. They've got they've got different technology now to, to, to search and to find it. But one night they'd come in at two o'clock in the morning and they've raided, they've ramped his cell, they've, they've sh absolutely pulled it to pieces, pulled his mattress into a thousand pieces, ripped all his bed clothes up, trashed his whole cell, and they couldn't find the phone. They knew he had one, but they couldn't find it. So he's there standing with his hands against the wall, absolutely stuck, not a thing on, and it rings. <laughs> Fancy that. Um, you got it on it? silent? Well, <laughs> you probably should have at least put it on silent, if not vibrate. <laughs> um, the tank is an incredible uh, place for things to be stored, as, as you've seen in the, in the DVD. The second... Um, the second story I've got mm -hmm. is um, a tale of two crims. You don't need me up here anymore, do you? Well, you might want to take a seat because this is a bit longer story okay. and uh, your legs might get tired. <laughs> Stories about crime are really popular. Uh, lots of people ask me about, you know, who's in there and who's doing what and, and what's going on. And I've had a bit of a think about it and I can remember even as a child how crime, police, detective, law stories have always been very, very popular. Um, when I was a kid watching TV, there were shows like Homicide. Does anyone remember Homicide? Division 4? Matlock? Bluey. Who remembers Bluey? Glenn Dixon reminds me of the guy out of Bluey. Uh, the comedy company did a skit later on. They, they give him another name. But um, I love night church because you can be a, bit, a little bit more relaxed. I didn't tell morning church that. But next time you see Glenn Dixon, think of Bluey. But there's more relevant TV shows today, isn't there? Uh, how many of you guys have watched an episode of NCIS? Stats. How many NCIS, NCISs is there now? There's New Orleans, is it? The bloke with the mirror glasses. There's, what else is there? Come on, tell me. LA. 
Miami. And there's the original one with old spider tat Sherla on the neck. Um, the original NCIS. And do you know NCIS actually was come off a, a show called JAG, which was the Judge Advocate Court. Well, the, tonight's story, The Tale of Two Crims, has got everything that a good crime story needs. It's got a dodgy, dodgy judge. It's got a corrupt prosecution. It's got a fickle jury. And it's got a couple of crims. And I reckon if Channel 9 had got hold of this or woke up to themselves a little bit early, they'd there's definitely an underbelly series in this. And because it's set in Jerusalem, we'll call it Underbelly Jerusalem. There you go. Look at that. But uh, as, we, uh, as we're going to look on, uh, the Bible reading was read tonight. Thank you. What's, it? What's Kate, is it? She's a very lucky woman to be married to you, mate, isn't she? <laughs> be very exciting. Thank you, Kate, for, for reading the Bible. Uh, have you, has everybody got one of those square sheets of paper? Put your hand up, let me see. Because you're going to need it in front of you tonight. Who hasn't got one? Who needs one? Righto. There's some people going to do the lap, but we're going to get started anyway. So, um, as I said, story tonight, and we're going to kick off. And we're going to meet a couple of the people in this story, and I've already named who they are, the main players. They're up on the screen behind me. And the first word is Jesus on our Bible reading. And Jesus is crim number one. So Jesus stood before Pilate, the governor, who asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate, the governor, has got a role in this. And we're going to call him the dodgy judge. Righto? He's the one in the judgment seat. We're going to see a little bit later on. So Jesus stood before Pilate, the governor, and Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And answer, Jesus answers him without battering an eyelid, Yes, that is right. Then when the priests and the older Jewish leaders made their accusations against Jesus, he said nothing. Now, in a courtroom, who is it that makes the accusations against the accused? It's the prosecution. And in this case, the prosecution is corrupt. And the corrupt prosecution is the leading priests and the older Jewish leaders. So they make accusations against Jesus, and sentence 13, Pilate the judge says... Don't you hear all the charges that they are making against you? He's talking to Jesus. Why don't you answer? But Jesus said there, it said, look at sentence 14, but Jesus did not say anything. And this really surprised the governor, or this really surprised the judge. Now I want to give you a little bit of a backstory about this bloke, crim number one, named Jesus. He came from very, very humble beginnings. He was born in a backwater of Jerusalem, in Nazareth. 
which is kind of sort of, when I was here 15 years ago, the, the place sort of out on the boundary was Wilmont. Is there anyone here from Wilmont tonight? It's still out on the boundary? I, I just sort of, I look around and there's houses everywhere, so I just kind of think, so if you think about like Rudy Hill being the, the centre, the cultural hub, which I believe it to be, don't you worry. Wilmont is where Jesus had come from, out in the back blocks. He was a carpenter's son. So that meant he was a tradie. He used to work with wood. His dad worked with wood. And the way things were in those days, what your dad does is what you do. But there's a couple of quite some, there's a couple of standouts about this bloke, Jesus, who we hear about here, who's the first crim in the story. And the thing is, it was reported that when his mother gave birth, so when he was born, his mother had never had any intimate or sexual relationship with a man. So this woman, Mary, his mother, was a virgin at the time she gave birth to him. Now that's pretty incredible, isn't it, when you think about it? But other parts of the Bible tell us that God's Holy Spirit planted the seed in her belly, which enabled this to happen. The other thing about this bloke named Jesus, he could do some stuff, and he could do some pretty impressive stuff just by speaking. At one time, it was reported that there was a storm. He got up and told the wind and told the waves to be quiet. And that's what happened. There are other times when this, this, not long after he calmed the storm where this crazy man, this absolute spinner, came from out of the tombs and started yelling and screaming and cutting himself. And, and Jesus just said, listen, you demons in this bloke, get out of him. Get out of him. And the bloke was returned to his right mind. But an amazing standout about Jesus, this bloke named Jesus, is that he would talk to God. He would talk to the God, the creator of the universe. The one who gives you your next breath and who you can be thankful to for your last heartbeat. So he used to talk to the God, the creator and the sustainer, and he used to call him Father. At one particular time in his Life, he actually referred to him more than father. It was like daddy. It's what this Jesus referred to God, the creator, as. And you want to know what's even more incredible? On two occasions, the God, that God, that creator, sustainer God, spoke audibly where people could hear and he said, first of all, that this is my son. And not only did he say, this is my son, but the second time he said, the first time he said, this is my son, I'm very pleased with him. The second time he said, this is my son, listen to him. So just bloke Jesus not only talked to God as dad or as father, but God would refer to him as son, good son. We're going to get back to the story. 
And here we, uh, we're down to sentence 15, if you're following on, and it'd be good if you are. And sentence 15 says this. Every year at Passover time, the governor, now who's the governor? The judge, the dodgy judge, would free a prisoner, whichever one the people wanted him to free. At that time, there was a man in prison who was known to be very bad. And his name is Barabbas. Enter crim number two. We don't know a lot about Barabbas. A couple of the other gospel stories fill in a little bit more about him. This, this story, uh, Matthew here in this version that we're reading, says Barabbas was very bad. But other parts of the Bible actually say he was notorious. Do you know what notorious means? Notorious means everybody knows who he is. It says that he was a murderer. And he was well known as being a murderer. And one other gospel actually tells us that this time he was locked up, he was in jail, it was for insurrection. You know what insurrection is? Terrorism. This bloke... Yeah, he's very bad. He's a rotten egg. He is a grub. He is the sort of person you want locked up and you want the key thrown away. If 60 Minutes lobbed up and did a, uh, did a, did a bit on Barabbas, you know how it's normally 20-minute intervals? It would be the whole hour. The whole hour would be dedicated to Barabbas. Because he is so well known and he's such a rotten egg. We're going to read on from sentence 17. And now we meet the fickle and gullible jury, and that's the crowd, friends. Let me read to you from sentence 17. When a crowd gathered, Pilate said to them, I will free one man for you. Which one do you want me to free? Barabbas, the dirtbag, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate knew that they had handed Jesus over to him because they were jealous. Because they were jealous. Now, in those words, there's a bit of a clue on what's going on here. Pilate said he was handed over because they were jealous. Who is the they that we're talking about? Well, it's the leading priests and the older Jewish leaders. It's the corrupt prosecution that have brought the charges against Jesus. And it's only because, it's because they're jealous. They're feeling a bit precious because their position is threatened. Crim number one, this bloke name is Jesus, is on trial because the leading priests, the older Jewish leaders, were jealous of him. What sort of garbage is that? What sort of absolute rubbish is it? And Pilate can see and Pilate knows what's going on.
Now there's an interesting little uh, aside here in our story, and it starts at sentence 19. Uh, let's have a look at this next part. I reckon this is really interesting. While Pilate was sitting there in his place for judging, so he's on the judge, in the courtroom, on the throne or on the bench, his wife sent a message to him and it said, so he gets this bit of paper to pass to him or, or somebody comes and whispers in his ear and the message is, do not have anything to do with that man. He is not guilty. Do not have anything to do with that man. He is not guilty. Last night I had a dream about him and it troubled me very much. The judge, Pilate's wife is having bad dreams, sends a message to her husband, don't have anything to do with him. Get out of this situation, you don't want to be part of it, is what she's telling him. Now, wives. Wives can be very influential with their husbands, can't they? Yeah, I'm seeing quite a few nods here. Wives can be incredibly influential to husbands. And husbands, let me just speak to you for a minute. Finish this saying for me, happy wife, happy... We all know it, don't we? We all know it. The message is that this bloke's not guilty. Pilate's in a position where he doesn't know what to do. He feels that he's only here because... They're jealous and now his missus is sending this message telling him not to have anything to do with it. The whole thing sounds like a stitch-up, doesn't it? Why is crim number one Jesus on trial? Well, because it's a stitch-up. And you know what proves it even more? Is a little bit earlier in this chapter. Please read it if you want when you get home. We hear how Judas... One of Jesus' 12 closest companions that he had around him for the three years of his ministry dogs him out, gives him up, goes and dobs him in for 30 silver coins to who? The leading priests and the older Jewish leaders. Judas can't cope with what he's done. He goes back to the church hierarchy, the council, and says, listen, here's these 30 silver coins. You can have them back. It's, it's innocent blood. We, I don't want any part of this. And you know what, the, you know what the, the old guys say? Oh, we can't have that money in here, mate. That's blood money. That's blood money. So Jewish, Judas cracks it, throws the money in the temple, goes out and hangs himself because of the guilt. The priests and the older Jewish leaders gather up the money. We can't use this in the temple because it's blood money. Can't renovate our bathrooms with it. So they go and buy a block of land. Go and buy a block of land. What a bunch of grubs. Let's read on. We're getting towards the end of it here. Sentence 20. But the leading priests and the older Jewish leaders 
told the people to ask for Barabbas to be set free and for Jesus to be killed. Pilate said, I have Barabbas and Jesus. Which one do you want me to set free for you? The people answered, Barabbas. Pilate said, so what do you want me to do with Jesus, the one you call the Messiah? And all the people said, kill him. Kill him on a cross. Pilate asked, why do you want me to kill him? What wrong has he done? But they shouted all the louder, kill him. Kill him on a cross. At that point, sentence 24, Pilate saw that there was nothing he could do to make the people change. In fact, it looked like there might be a riot breakout. So he, the dodgy judge, took some water in his hands and washed them. And he said, I'm not guilty of this man's death. You are the ones that are doing it. You are the ones that are doing it. The crowd, the fickle, gullible jury, cry for his death. You know, it's the same crowd a week earlier. Only one week earlier when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, coming into Jerusalem, they're crying praises to him. They're singing out, you're the goat. You know what goat means? Greatest of all time. That's what they're singing out to him. You're the greatest. Hosanna. They're laying palm leaves down. And one week later, they're screaming out again at him, yes. But they're screaming and crying out for his death. And the gutless judge just washes his hands. So the innocent man here in the story, crim number one, Jesus gets death. And Barabbas, the guilty it's freedom. You know, I hate stories where the guilty get away with it. Where the guilty gets off. You see it every now and then. Hollywood brings out a movie where you know that person's done the wrong thing, yet the movie ends with them just walking off into the sunset and nothing has happened to them. I hate it to the point where it, it just leaves a knot in my guts because judgment hasn't been done. And that's what happens here in this tale of two crims. The innocent Jesus gets death. The guilty Barabbas gets freedom and release. The thing about this story is it's a story not only of two crims but of, of two real big kickers as far as I'm concerned. A kicker is something that sort of gives you an uppercut and oh, gives you a bit of a shock. And the first one is, well as, well, as it appears, it was a stitch up, this whole court case. The rest of the Bible tells us that Jesus 
is the one only truly innocent person in history that was innocent. Let me tell you that again. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only truly innocent person in the whole history of the world. Let me break that down. Jesus never did wrong by God, not once. And Jesus never did wrong by the people. Imagine that. Never slagged off his brother. Never caused trouble in the community. Always got on well with his workmates. Never did the wrong thing by God. Never did the wrong thing by people. And the second kicker, as we've talked about, is Barabbas, the guilty, goes free. Innocent Jesus punished to the point of death. Guilty, Barabbas, freedom. It's just not right, friends, is it? It's just not a good story. But you know, that's the Christian message. That's the Christian message. You see, each and every single one of us here today, me included, has wronged somebody in the, at one time in their life or another. Maybe not just one person, but there might be a few that you've wronged. Workmates, family members. And in the same way, Every single person in this room tonight, and the Bible backs this up for us, has wronged God at some time in their life. Maybe not just once. Who knows how many times you've done the wrong thing by God. And as a result of us doing the wrong thing, we deserve to be punished. As simple as that. That's a fair cop. But forgiveness and freedom from punishment can be ours. It can be. The whole reason Jesus, God's son, came to earth was to reveal who his father was. Number one. That's why Jesus came to earth. To show us what God's like. You know the father, you know the son. And not only has he revealed God to us, but he's shown us how we could get to know him and to make a way where we can get back into a right relationship with him. God the creator. Jesus came to reverse the curse. The curse that in our natural state, we're God's enemies. We are God's enemies. Brabus, the guilty, deserves death, yet got freedom. We are also guilty, and we deserve death. But freedom from judgment is something that we can have. We're like Barabbas, aren't we? If our trust is in Jesus, we are... Barabbas. 
I stated earlier uh, when Mike was chatting with me that on the 18th of August uh, 1991, uh, 28 years ago, I made a commitment to follow Jesus, sitting just back there, 28 years ago. I became a Christian. As I said, it's like marriage. I actually said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to make a commitment to you. And I'm going to extend an opportunity for you guys for the same to happen to you today. The same to happen for you today. Today's the 21st of July 2019 and I reckon that's a great day for an anniversary. I reckon that's a great day for a birthday. I reckon that's a great day. If you haven't already put your trust in Jesus today, and I want to encourage you to do it. The day that you, the Barabbas, that deserves punishment and death, can put your trust in Jesus and allow him to take the penalty that you deserve. For you to have your sins forgiven. To be put right with your heavenly father. It's an easy thing to do. And I'm going to lead us all in prayer in a couple of minutes. And it's a simple prayer that just says, sorry, thank you, please. That's a good, that's a good way to start your day and a good way to end your day. And it's a good way to get on board with Christianity. We're going to pray. Sorry to God for ignoring you and not putting you number one. That's what the sorry stands for, states. But thank you for sending Jesus to put us right with you. It's a pretty good thing to say thank you for. And finally, the please is please help me to live a life that honours you. Please, friends, I urge you to pray with me now whether this is the first time you've made a commitment to follow Jesus or it's the hundredth. It's a really good prayer to pray. Good, really good prayer to pray. So bow your heads with me now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to come before you and we want to say sorry to you for not always putting you first, for not always giving you the right and due respect that you deserve. We're sorry for that, Lord. We want to say thank you for sending Jesus so we, the Barabbas that deserves death, can have freedom and eternal life. So thank you for Jesus. We also want to say please. Please help us now to live a life that's going to bring glory and honour to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.